There we go. Okay, we got some call and response stuff. That's good. Well, guys, today is such a, a great day to, to be together. It's Christmas. I'm excited to, to get into this and, and wrap up our, our Advent series. If you've been with us, you know, we've been spending pretty much this, the last three weeks uh, preparing our hearts, making room in our hearts for, for Jesus and the celebration that we're going to about to take place in, in, with Christmas. And, and obviously, we, the dynamic of this room has changed a little bit as many people have, have traveled long ways to be with family for, for this celebration, but, but this Advent series that we're wrapping up uh, today, guys, we're going to do it in the best way that I can think of is by looking at the very first Christmas, all right, with the birth of Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, we're just going to jump right in. Go ahead and, and open up to, to Luke chapter 2, and we're going we're gonna to look at this, the very first Christmas, the, this, this gospel news of, of Jesus coming. And if you don't have a Bible and you're visiting on the way out, we'd love to give you one as a gift. This is kind of what we're doing, what we do at Docs is we, we gather around the gospel, we gather around the, the Bible, we let God speak to us, and then we respond and, and do our best to hear him and respond to him. So we're, as we get into this, guys, let me, let me say this, okay? One of my, my greatest joys in, that I have is to be able to open up the Bible with you every time that we gather. And this is especially true today as we're, as we're celebrating Christmas together. And as we get into this narrative of the, the first Christmas and the birth of Jesus, here's, here's what we need, all need to understand, okay? All that the Luke, or all that the Luke, all that the gospel of Luke shares, written by this man named Luke, okay, who is a historian, he's a, he's a physician, all that he writes, guys, it's, it's important to, to remember that it's, it's from the lens of history, all right, that this isn't so much about philosophy or, or spirituality, but Luke, as a historian, is very concerned with the facts that are surrounding Jesus, and he tells us exactly what happens at this first Christmas. And, and he has a goal with this. If you, if you look back to Luke chapter 1, okay, in the, in the introduction of this gospel, verses 1 through 4, in verse 4, Luke is writing this gospel to a man named Theophilus. We don't know a ton about Theophilus. We're not going to even get into that. But as he writes in, in verse 4, look what he says. He says that he's writing everything he does to give Theophilus certainty that everything that happened is emphatically true. And so he's writing this gospel, guys, and all these facts, all these details to give you, to give me certainty in our faith. That it's not speculation, but this is rooted in history. And so this is my goal as we get into this this morning is really just to give you guys, to, to preach the gospel to myself in such a way that it gives us certainty that we have Jesus who's come with us, Emmanuel, God with us, that we have this understanding of who he is rooted in history so that we can worship in wonder and awe and praise as we begin to celebrate Christmas, okay? And as we get into this gospel, okay, Luke's account today, we're going to be in chapter 2 starting in verse 1, all right? It's basically broken up into three parts, all right? We're going to see a birth, we're going to see an announcement, and then we're going to see two responses to all of this. And this is the way that I'm going to attempt to teach this to, to you guys today. And so let's just get going. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to start. We're going to start with the birth, all right, the story of the birth of Jesus. And this is what we see in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, 
If you've watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you've probably already heard this a number of different times throughout your life, but this is the simple account of the birth of Jesus, whose, whose birth we celebrate on Christmas along with billions of other people around the world who call themselves Christians. And here is what Luke tells us about how this birth went down, okay? Mary, who's the mother of Jesus, okay? She's engaged to this guy, Joseph, and they hear this, this news that a decree is coming from Caesar Augustus that a, that a census was gonna be taken by Rome. And really just a Roman census, guys, was, was just an aid in tax collection for Rome. It was about money, it was about control, it was about power. And, and you really didn't have the ability to decide if you were going to participate in this or not. So everybody had to go to their hometown to register, to begin to pay their taxes, okay? And it's an interesting thing to note. If you've, if you've read the gospel accounts, all right, Luke is the only gospel writer who related the birth of Jesus to an historical event like this census. And again, we need to understand this and be reminded that, that why does he do this? Because he's rooting everything in history. He wants us to know and give us certainty in our faith that, hey, Jesus was born, and this is surrounded by historical facts that you can look up, this actually happened. And so he's writing about this census, and we see that Joseph, where's he going? He's going to Bethlehem, all right? They're traveling from Galilee to Bethlehem because this is where his ancestor, King David, grew up, and it's his place of origin. And here's what we should see happening here, okay? As, as Caesar's decree went out, it wasn't just the words of a, of a powerful man and king that was deciding to do whatever he wanted, right? But as Caesar's decree went out, it did so in God's perfect timing and according to God's perfect plan to bring his son into the world. And the point of all of this, I really believe that the point that Luke has here for us is to see God as completely sovereign over all of human history. That because of Caesar's decree, guys, Jesus was born in the very town that it was prophesied that he would be born in. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, this was a prophecy that the, that the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Christ, would be born in Bethlehem. And, it, and it's, when we talk about Jesus in his life, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his life is surrounded by prophecies. All right, these, these foretellings of, of how it was all going to happen. And it goes, it's probably the best apologetic that we have that Jesus is actually God, who he says he is. All right, because you can, you can make the argument, and we can go there and say, okay, well, a man could know all of these prophecies that surrounded his life, and if he really was rigorous enough about it and, and intentional enough, he could have just known all of those prophecies and just went about and fulfilled them. But here, with Jesus' birth, he's not able to make any decisions, right? He's in the womb. You can't do anything but roll around, as far as I know, all right? And so he's there, and he's in... This prophecy comes to fruition because of Caesar's decree, which was under the sovereign hand of God. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. It's meant to give us certainty. And if we look back, Luke doesn't explain why Mary went with Joseph. All right? but, I'll, but I'll submit to you this, guys. It's likely that Mary, what we know of Mary is Mary was very pious. She was a devout woman. She knew the Old Testament scriptures. And she was likely wondering how it was that her baby who was the promised savior of the world, was going to be born in Bethlehem, as the prophets foretold, because they were not living there, right? And I, and I picture it kind of going down like this. Like Mary's thinking like, okay, this angel came to me. He said, I'm going to give birth to the savior of the world. I know that he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, but we're far away from there. How is this all going to happen? And then all of a sudden, Joseph come home, comes home from work one day and says, hey, we got to go to Bethlehem because there's this census that's about to happen. And I just picture it in my head that Mary is just kind of like smiling, right? And she's just kind of smiling and seeing how God is making this all come together 
just as he promised that it would. And because she saw what God was doing, she went with Joseph, and the stage is being set for the birth. That this is not, guys, just a historical event, just a baby being born, but this is a, a fulfillment of ancient prophecy, that there's something really significant. Now, look back with me to verse 6, all right? This is what we see. Luke says, and while they were there, the time came. I want you to circle the time came in your Bible. The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. All right, this idea, the time came. And, and here's why I told you to circle that, okay? At first glance, this can just seem like Mary realizes that it's time to get, give birth, all right? This is just like any woman who's pregnant and about to give birth, that there's that moment in time where you're like, okay, this isn't indigestion anymore. Something is happening. Get me out of here, right? It's that time. I remember when that happened with my first child and I was getting ready to go work out. It was early in the morning and I was walking out the door and Lisa's like, oh, I think we need to wait the time. And I'm like, no, I got to go. I got to meet this guy. She's like, no, you need to get in the car. Okay, we're going, right? The time has come. There's just this physical thing that's happening. But I want you to see this. In addition to this natural time, all right, the wording of time here also says something way more to us, all right, that if we, if we know our Bibles, it should trigger in our thoughts the words that we read in other parts of the Bible that speak of the fullness of time coming. For example, look here, up here on the screen. The Apostle Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, what happened? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Right? And the reference of this time is a reminder, guys, of the fact that that God, from the very conception of things, has been ordering history and unfolding the plan of redemption and salvation just as the prophets foretold. All right, that, that Micah prophesied this in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, 700 years before Jesus was born. And in this intertestamental time, right, that people were waiting, it was just this great time of waiting and expectation that they were, they were anticipating, okay, we know that the Savior's coming, we know that there's hope for us, we know that something good is happening, but 700 years passes and they're just waiting. But this word time here is really just a signpost of hope to all people that it's happening, that hope has come, and actually hope isn't just this thing that we can't really grasp hold of, but it has a name, and his name is Jesus. He gives us hope. It's, he's the hope of the world. And when we look at these two verses, guys, I mean, I want you to notice this. Look at these verses. Jesus' birth is really just kind of straightforward and simple. And it's not simple in the significance of the events, but the details, all right? Because in both the birth and the death of Jesus, Luke uses the same type of brevity here to explain what happened. Take a look. It'll come up here on the screen. In Luke chapter 23, when Luke is describing the death of Jesus, here's what he says. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Guys, it's that same simplicity in details. He doesn't give us a ton. And here's why I point this out, okay? Because when it comes to the birth of Jesus, all right, Luke makes it simple. And he doesn't give us the details about the events of the day. But for Luke, it's all about the revelation behind the event that gives it its significance. Consider this, okay? In Luke's gospel, there's well over a thousand verses in Luke's gospel. 
But he gives us only two verses here to explain how Jesus was born. And, and that should trigger us to at least ask the question of like, okay, this is a really significant event. Why only two verses? I mean, he writes over a thousand, but why does he only give us two verses to explain Jesus' birth? And, and it's this, guys. For Luke, the birth of Count is just a little jewel in the crown of Christ. All right, that for Luke, he wasn't concerned about how much Jesus weighed, right? What the, what the room looked like, how long Mary pushed, right? And he wasn't concerned with the date even that it happened on. All right, even at his death, he spares us the gory details of all that happened in this scene, but he just notes that he was killed. And he spares us all these details of the nativity scene because he simply wants us to know that Jesus was born. And then what he does is he pushes us forward to understand why this is such a big deal for you, for me, and for all people. And I'll pause here to say this, guys. For many people, guys, the story of, of Jesus' birth in these two verses is practically all they know of Christianity. That they know that Jesus was born. And when we only know that, these two verses, that Jesus was born, it's just about a kid being born into the world, but we're missing out on the significance and in Luke, yes, he wants us to know the facts of Jesus' birth, but he is way, way more concerned with what the significance is. And this is why he spends so much more time on this. All right, that this is the most significant moment in human history only, hear that, only because God revealed the meaning behind it. All right, and this is where we get into the angel's announcement. All right, so the birth happens, and just like today, then we send out an announcement of the birth. And look at verse 8. And in the same region were the shepherds. I want you to circle shepherds in your Bible. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear, great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And so, guys, what you can do is you can consider this announcement of Jesus' birth as like the ancient equivalent to like a social media blast of when you have your baby, right? I mean, people have their babies, and then the first thing they do, it's like, we're not even going to name them right now. We're just going to take a picture and send it out on Instagram, okay? This is basically the ancient equivalent, okay? There, there's this announcement to the world. Something has happened. There's this kid. Now, what does this actually mean? So what's announced? First, Luke notes that the angel comes and makes this announcement to who? This isn't a trick question. Shepherds, right? Now, why does this even matter? What should we think about when we think about shepherds? Guys, it, it's simply this, Okay. In among the occupations that people could have in these days, all right, shepherds were, were seen as having just a really lowly place. In many ways, they were just outcasts. They weren't allowed in the city, and they weren't really trusted by, by the general public. And, and I believe this, this detail of, of Luke sharing that this announcement came to the shepherd, he gives it to us for a reason, all right, that I think he's showing us, he's giving us a glimpse of his big theme throughout this gospel, that Jesus is good news for all people. If you haven't written that in your Bible above the Gospel of Luke, you need to do that. Good news for all people. That Jesus doesn't just come from the, for the, the white, rich, powerful person, the super religious, but he comes for the poor, the powerless, everybody, regardless of race, ethnicity, behavior, all of that. It's good news for all people. And I think that's very significant to come to the shepherds. 
that as the angel makes this glorious announcement, this heavenly good news, literally the word gospel, he meets and greets the average person where they're at, in the field, going about their daily life. It's good news for everyone. And this is what we believe about Jesus. Now, he comes to these shepherds, these, this average person, and now look how the shepherds react. Verses 9 and 10. They were filled with great fear. I want you to circle filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I give you, and underline this part, good news of great joy that will be for all people. So they're filled with fear, right? They see these angels, they're filled with fear. And, it, and it's significant to note that when we, when we consider the overarching biblical narrative, all right, the typical response of someone seeing an angel is fear. Right? that the visible presence of, of heavenly beings brings about fear because it's really just this altogether unknown thing that we, we know that the spiritual world exists because the Bible tells us about this, right? And you might even feel the spiritual tension from time to time, but we don't see it on an everyday basis. And so when we see this, it elicits fear in the people. If we look back to, to chapter 1, verse 30, with Mary's response, Mary has this encounter with the angel he announces that, that she will be giving birth to the Savior of the world. What is her response? It's the same thing. Fear. She, she's afraid. And the angel tells her the same thing. Don't be afraid. And I want you to hear that today, okay? Don't be afraid. Because here's what happens, guys. Look at what happens. Their fear turns to joy when they hear the announcement of good news. This gospel news. That as they heard this news, this gospel, that Emmanuel, God is with us, that the Savior has come, their worry and fear turned to worship and joy. And I think this is really significant for us here today, all right? That guys, our lives, and maybe this isn't you right in this moment, but our lives, much of the time, are filled with fear and worry. There are people all around us, even in the room today, that are living in great fear and worry in thinking, man, I would love to live in a state of joy and peace, but I really don't even know how that is possible in such a broken world where it just gets, I get stuff thrown at me all of the time. And if you're one of those people or you know people like that, here's what you need to know. That worry can turn to worship and that fear can turn to joy only, guys, only when the good news of Jesus has come into your life. And it's just so important for us to know that we cannot truly experience sustainable joy and sustainable peace throughout our lives without the discovery of good news. All right, and here's what I mean. Okay, when we understand this announcement, all right, this, this gospel news that's coming for, from Jesus for all people, it puts life in perspective, all right? Write that word perspective, okay? Because that's a big one for you to consider as you, as you celebrate Christmas. It, it, becoming a Christian, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. Some of you, you have heard that. You've sat under like bad biblical teaching that has been like prosperity and health and wealth that come to Jesus and you're going to be rich and you're going to have whatever, right? It, it's not about that because you can come to Jesus and all your problems will still be there. You're still going to suffer. You're still going to hurt. But it gives us perspective. The gospel gives us perspective. And this gospel perspective allows us, guys, even in the midst of the darkest, hardest things that we go through in life, even in the midst of suffering, it allows us and empowers us to exist in a state 
of joy and peace as we remember all that God is and all that God gives through faith. I've, I've heard it demonstrated. This was helpful for me. I heard it demonstrated like this, all right? There was a, there was a college student, all right, who was finishing up his first semester at school, and he was preparing to come home for Christmas break, and he sent an email to his parents, and I'm just going to read this email, okay? This is what he says. He says, Dear Mom and Dad, Sorry, I haven't been in touch with you, but there have been a number of things that have happened this semester which have kept me from calling you, and I thought you should know about them. First, my apartment burnt to the ground, and I lost all of my possessions. And when I tried to get my stuff from the burning building, I broke both of my legs and ended up in the hospital. But while I was in the hospital recovering, I met a fantastic nurse who took great care of me and helped me recover. And as I was talking it over with my friends, they assured me that even though she is 20 years older than me and doesn't speak English, that it shouldn't help keep me from pursuing the relationship and the love that we began to experience. With this, I just wanted you to know that we got married last weekend. End the paragraph, second paragraph. Everything you read is not true, so don't worry. But what is true is I failed all of my classes this semester, and since I wanted you to get this in some sort of perspective, I have written this email as is. End. Right? Life is about, some of you college students are like, I should totally do that, right? (laughs) Guys, life is a matter of perspective. That without good gospel news, life can just be crushing. It can be pointless. And with all the pain and the suffering and the hardships and the injustice that we all experience, without gospel perspective, it will bring you down to your knees sooner or later. And even those of you who are here today that are suffering and you're going through hardships, you need to be reminded of this gospel perspective that through faith, God, Emmanuel, he's with you. That the love of God is not beyond you. The love of God has not left you. And you need to know that you can trust in God, that he is in control and he has a plan for you, just like he demonstrated with the birth of Jesus. And even when we don't understand what's going on and we don't understand why the things are happening, We can trust in the character of God and we can remind ourselves of this good news and gain perspective and strength through the Holy Spirit to get through all that life throws at us. This is why people, guys, can be filled with joy and hope in the midst of fear and uncertainty and pain and suffering. Have you known those types of people? Have you seen those types of people? All right, that they're suffering, but they're somehow satisfied. They're hurting, but they're somehow hopeful. They're sad, but they're simultaneously celebrating. How do they do that? Have you seen those types of people? I know I have. And, I, and, and you think about that, man, how do they do that? Because it's an issue of perspective. And this really hit me two weeks ago. Some of you know that Doxa is part of a larger church family, all right, a network of churches that all around the Midwest and even, and even beyond. One of our newer churches is up in Minneapolis, all right, and the lead pastor there, his name is Drew Stevenson. And so they're just a year older than us. And a couple months into the church plant, um, Drew just got the rug ripped out from underneath him. And as I was talking to him a couple weeks ago, he was just reminding me, and and this all clicked for me, and it it made it more real and tangible. Okay, so Drew and Melissa, they were getting ready to have their sixth kid. Jude was his name. And the minute he was born, there was something wrong. All right, that they put him under the, the warmer when he came out, and he wasn't breathing. And the doctors looked at Drew, and he told me, he remembers the time, the doctor was like, okay, this isn't good. we got to get to work. And so there was, long story short, there was a lot of stuff wrong with his heart. There was a lot of, like, the veins weren't 
wired the right way, and he was just in a bad space. And the first month, the first couple months of this young child Jude's life was just terrible and, and painful. He went through a number of surgeries to try and fix it. There were ups and downs. There were moments of hope and, and despair. But long story short, Jude wasn't able to, to pull through. All right, And, and I want to show you a clip because um, it's probably one of the most powerful things about perspective that I've ever seen. And, and honestly, I, I texted Drew last night and said, man, I'm grateful for your example. I respect you a ton. I don't know if I could have done this. All right, but take a look at, at this clip, um, and, and we'll come back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I was at the pool with our five older kids, and I got a call to the pool front desk from Melissa. <laughs> Because whenever I go to the pool, I just leave my phone at home and talk to Melissa. She says, they're doing CPR on Jude. You need to get over here as fast as you can. I run to the hospital. Melissa's sitting outside of the room. I just pulled up a chair next to her, put my arm around her. We just sat and prayed and watched. And then I think the moment where we both realized it was the end was when Dr. Rude came out and she just with tears in her eyes, just said, Melissa, you need to hold Jude. Melissa sat in the recliner and I sat next to her and my desire was not at that moment to hold Jude. It was that we would get to usher him into heaven with Melissa holding him in her arms. And so I just rubbed his foot and Melissa sang and we prayed. And it felt both so sad, but also like such a privilege and so hopeful in the same moment. And actually because he was hooked up to a ventilator, Melissa was still holding him and we didn't even know that he had died because his chest was still going in and out. And then another one of the doctors came in and said that he had died at 10, 12 p.m. on July 11th. For us in that moment, what we were mostly feeling is like, I think we just looked at each other and we were like, he went from your arms to the arms of God. He's with his heavenly father forever. That was dawning on us in such a fresh way that we were just like, wait, so at 1010, he was here. You know, at 10, 11, maybe he's still here. 10, 12, he's with Jesus. This is amazing. Like, that's what I kept thinking of. I'm like, his reality is better than our reality right now. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, go, buddy, go. I mean, fuller than if he was healed on this earth and came to our house. I was like, you are in ultimate reality now in a way I don't fully understand. Um, yeah, I just I was thinking of that with him with his his short life here was so rough compared to what it is now. A lot of people have actually said to me that was not what I expected at the funeral. Mm -hmm. It was it was fun, it was joyful. I left almost feeling bad that I had a good time or but I think just that hope is true and we want people to know that. I mean, that's 
that it's an opportunity to share with them about the great hope that accompanies the great loss. One of the most painful realities that anyone can go through in life is to see their child for the last time in an open casket and then see that coffin sitting on top of the ground. I just kept thinking, it's not the end. I remember soon after Jude's kind of initial big procedure, he was hooked up to what's called the ECMO machine, and he's just in, in tremendous pain. And I remember kind of draping myself over him without touching him and just looking at him and just crying out to God and saying, why do I have to watch my son suffer like this? This is terrible. And just for God to remind me that he knows. He knows what it's like to watch his son suffer. He understands our pain because he designed the universe so that he would suffer more than anyone else. And so I can trust that he's gonna use me watching my son suffer for a great and lasting purpose. We look in the faces of all of our other five kiddos and we say, we have so much to be thankful for. Who are we to shake our fist at God and say, why have you brought this suffering into our life? The Christian life is not about the absence of suffering. The Christian life is that God is the God who turns suffering into glory. Guys, there's, there's no moment when the gospel shines with greater clarity than in the face of death. And, and you see Drew and Melissa and their response. And, and you just have to ask, like, how do they have this perspective with Jude's death? It's only with the good news of Jesus in sight. Right? You need to know, guys, that there is good news. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel of a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. I want you to circle peace, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so as this good news is, is being announced, the angels start singing and they start singing of peace. And this is not, guys, this is not talking about world peace. Like there's no more wars, okay? It's, it's, this is not what it's talking about. But this is talking about the peace of our hearts, the peace of our soul, the peace that you see demonstrated by real people like Drew and Melissa as they tell this story. How do they have that level of peace? Guys, and this peace 
of the heart and the soul is something that no amount of money, no amount of relationships or stuff or therapy or counseling or life coaching can ever fill. We need to know that the only truly, true way to truly experience peace in our lives is to find, is to find peace with God. Augustine said it well. This is what he said. Take a look. St. Augustine said, Thou hast made me for thyself, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. And so you, you see quotes like that. You see words like peace. You see people like Drew and Melissa, and you ask that question, man, this all sounds wonderful, but how do I even achieve this? I mean, peace is out there, but it almost seems like vapor, like I can't quite grab it. Right? Some of it, you've been striving for that, and you can't quite grab it. You can't quite feel it. It's not a reality in your life. Three things you need to know about peace. Number one is this. Guys, peace is not naturally existing in your life. That's the first thing you need to know. And the reality is, guys, is that we're all affected, infected, and afflicted by sin. We all ha we're all broken. We're messed up. We're not as we should be. And sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the very nature of sin is that sin separates. It separates us from each other, and it separates us from God. We're not at peace. There's turmoil, there's chaos. The Bible even uses the, the stronger language of that while we're living our lives in sin, that we're actually enemies of God. Some of you, you feel that lack of peace because you're not at peace with God. You're in fact his enemy because the sin that is in your life, that is in my life, has not been dealt with. It hasn't been mediated. It hasn't been forgiven. It hasn't been taken away. We don't naturally exist at peace with ourselves or God. That's the first thing you need to know about peace. Number two, Peace is not brought about by your own effort. You need to know that. That right now, there are people around this city sitting in church gatherings just like you are. They're waiting for the end of the sermon just like you are. And as the sermon ends, the pastor is going to get up and, and many of these pastors are going to stand up before their people and send them out into the everyday stuff of life and they're going to say something to the effect of, okay, all that we've just heard, go out there, take, care, take hold of that truth and go out there and try your best to be like Jesus. And people are hearing this, and they think that's the gospel, right? That they think that, okay, I came to church, and I'm here, I'm being confronted with, I'm just a messed up, broken person. Okay, I see how it's supposed to be. I'm encouraged right now. I'm, I'm really fired up to do something about it. And now I'm just going to go out into my rest of my week, and I'm going to try really, really hard to be at peace with God and be like Jesus. Guys, that is not it. That's not the gospel. There's no peace or joy in that way of thinking because that is religion. That is not the gospel. And I want you to know this, guys. It's not about religion. It's about redemption. It's not about you being a good person. It's about you believing a good gospel of hope and peace and joy. And Christmas is telling us, it's screaming to us with all the hoopla that surrounds it and celebrations and traditions and all that stuff. It's all screaming at us, telling us that you can never have peace and hope and get to heaven and get to God on your own, but God had to come to you. It's all about Jesus. And so if, if peace is not a naturally existing thing, if peace is not something that we find on our own, what is it then? Number three, peace is established by Jesus. This is the gospel, because that I don't want you to try harder. We don't want you to, to do better and try and clean up your life so that you can come to God. We want you to, and, and God wants you to, just to come to Jesus as you are. Give him your sin, give him your efforts, give him your entire life, 
and let him give you peace. Jesus is our peace. He doesn't, he, and he, the best part about this is he doesn't do this in the manger. We're reading this nativity scene. Jesus doesn't give us peace just by being born. He does this at the crucifixion in his death. All right, this is the season of gift giving, right? We all have given gifts. You're going to get gifts, right? This is the greatest gift exchange in the history of the world, right? That Martin Luther called this the great exchange, that on the cross of Christ, as Jesus died, he was crucified and he was killed for my sin in my place, that he lived a perfect life that I couldn't live. He died a death that I should have died. And on there on the cross, through faith, he says, give me all of your sin and I'm going to give you everything, righteousness, joy, peace, salvation. It's the great exchange. And so I'll ask you this, guys. Do you know that peace? Do you have this peace that the angels sing about that comes about as an announcement with the good news? And here's how we'll end. We've seen the birth. We've seen the announcement. Now look at the response to all of this. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, I want you to underline this part. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard wondered at what the shepherds told them. But look at Mary, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Circle that, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it has been told them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So two responses I want us to see today, guys. First, the shepherds. What do they do? They go and see for themselves, right? And they don't just go, but they go with haste. They go quickly. The, the, the shepherds, they hear this announcement and then they just take off and they go to see and look at what God is doing. They hear this good news, they hear this gospel, and their first response is, okay, we got to go check this out. I'm going to go see what's happening and then I'll, I'll report back. Okay, this is what they do. For some of you guys, you've heard this good news. You've just heard this good news. Maybe for the first time, maybe this is the first time that it's resonating with you. You heard this great news of joy and peace and salvation, which is what Christmas is all about. Now, here's what I'd say. Go and see for yourself. Go to Jesus, give him your life, give him your sin. And if you've never done that, I would just beg you, I'd encourage you, I'd invite you today to do that. Jesus is in fact inviting you to do that today. And you can do that in prayer, asking him just to forgive you of your sin and he will be your God. He will hear your prayers and become your God. Now look at Mary, all right? The shepherds, they go and they see and they worship but what about Mary? Verse 19, what does she say? I'd like to ponder that. It, that's an interesting thing. She, she begins to treasure all of these things in her heart. And as she begins to ponder this and think about it and treasure up all these things in her heart, it becomes the gospel fuel that drives the way that she sees herself. It drives the way that she sees God. It drives the way that she lives her life and she gives her worship. It changes everything. As she thinks about this, as she ponders it, as she treasures it all up in her heart. Guys, when I met Jesus, I was 23 years old. And I can tell you for sure that Jesus didn't just change the course of human history. He changed the course of, of my personal history. That everything is profoundly different 
in my life. My entire life has been completely transformed and redeemed by the person and the power and the work of Jesus. And if we had time, we could just sit here and have people share stories and they would share the same thing, that Jesus changed, Jesus saves, Jesus gave peace, Jesus gave joy, and we'd hear this reoccurring theme. This is what he does. That Christmas means miracle, Christmas means hope, Christmas means peace. It means that God has come for us, that Jesus has arrived as Emmanuel, God with us. And like Mary, guys, I want you to hear this, pondering that, pondering how God has drawn near to you will deepen your appetite to pursue him and to live like him and to live for him. And so I'll ask you to answer this question as we pray and sing. And I want you to write this down, okay? Because what difference has Jesus made in your life? That as you go about celebrating Christmas in the next couple days, sure, guys, enjoy the festivities. I am going to eat a ton, okay? I'm just going to say that. I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. All right, I'm going to watch my kids, and they're going to have fun opening stuff. I'm going to get frustrated putting together that stuff, and it's going to be great. But in the midst of all the stuff that we can get distracted by, let me just encourage you to ask that question. Maybe you just simply ask that question at your Christmas meal with your family and your kids. What difference has Jesus made in your life? That is the best gift that you can give to your kids. Let them hear a testimony of how God has changed you. What difference has Jesus made in your life? And guys, as you recall that, worship him with gladness and joy in a way that I want you to hear this, guys. It doesn't just stay in this room as we sing worship songs, but it goes into every room of your life as you walk with Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. That when the gospel is in you, in working, in transforming you, it naturally pours out of you and changes you this is what the gospel does. This is Christmas. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, has come. There's good news of great joy, and we can sing of peace and worship and thank him. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for the Bible that without you revealing to us what the significance of the birth of Jesus is, we, there would really be no reason to celebrate, but we know that he is Savior, that he is Christ, that he is Lord, that he's the hero that rescues us as Savior. He's Christ. He's the anointed one, the chosen one that has chosen us as his kids. And he's Lord. You're in control of everything. And so, God, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would just speak to us now. That if those of us that are in this place of turmoil and hardship in life and we're hearing of this peace that the angels announce and sing about, but we haven't experienced it, help us to begin to experience this now as we trust in you, our Savior. And I pray that for all of us here, that this Christmas would be a Christmas that we would truly remember, not because of what we've got or what we have given, but honestly, just because we begin to behold Jesus in such a way that we see him as this great news that was announced. And so as we ponder this, just like Mary, help us to just come to see you for who you actually are, respond to you, and let our worship just be a natural expression and overflow of all that you are and all that you've given us. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.